Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. You want to steal the Declaration of Independence? Why so serious? I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today I got Zach joining me for our discussion on Ant Man. What's up, Zach? Hey, how's it going? So, Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania just released, and we figured this is the perfect way to debut our approach to how we're going to cover these movies that are very based in comics and superheroes and all of that instead of going movie by movie or even phase by phase trilogy by trilogy all these things we discussed instead we're going to do character studies and where we're going to look at a specific character we're going to follow them through their solo movies their trilogies their character arcs throughout all of these movies that they kind of lean into other people's movies as well and we're going to see how they grow from the person we're introduced to them as and where they bring the story as they play out through again their stories and other people's stories on the big screen and just where they end up by the time we know them and then we might cover the movies as they are released and give our thoughts on them let us know if you'd like to see that but we're going to dive into ant-man zach what do you think ant-man scott lang brings to the mcu and like what are your thoughts on him we'll we'll dive deep in here in a sec but what's your initial thesis on this character that is kind of silly but also brings a lot to at least the infinity saga when that was still rolling through yeah i think scott lang is a great character and while his his story arc may not have the depth of say like tony stark or matt murdoch who he is is just way more accessible to the common viewer since he's not like a millionaire or a god or was juiced up by a super soldier serum he's just he's just a normal guy who gets like thrown into an adventure and i think that's way more easier for us to connect with as the viewer yeah the ant-man movies have kind of been known as the silly movies of the mcu they're very light-hearted and very fun to watch you wouldn't think that they bring a lot to the table in the greater story of the mcu but when ant-man and the wasp the first one really introduced us to the quantum realm and the importance of that and really set up scott for coming back in endgame and basically creating not creating time travel but discovering the possibilities of time travel and giving that opportunity to tony to make a device to travel through time that was almost counterintuitive to what the entire ant-man style of movie was i mean you have you have like louise who doesn't really take things seriously and does almost a third person monologue because he's silly like that and no one would actually do that so it's kind of an unbelievable type of character slash movie and yet it does bring a lot of stuff especially the quantum realm and how that played into endgame and now the movie that just came out and how that's introducing kang and the big bad of the next maybe decade however long they want the kang dynasty saga to go those movies can still bring a lot to the table for pushing the story forward and it doesn't just because they're silly doesn't mean they're not useful so the first movie he's in ant-man is kind of again like i said it's very fun film it's very easygoing and lighthearted. Yeah, I thought this film had a great story for Scott to start with, you know, just with starting as just a guy released from prison who wants to have a life with his daughter and, you know, his ex-wife wants him to be able to support her. So then he tries, he tries to have the normal life with a normal job, you know, he gets the Baskin-Robbins thing and then because of his past crimes, he's not able to have that job. So then he's kind of out of options. So he goes back to what he knows and he joins up with Louise and the other guys to pull off this job that Louise heard about. And then this leads him to getting the Ant-Man suit and then getting arrested again. And then Hank gets him out of prison with the Ant-Man suit. And then he helps Hank and Hope 
to stop Darren Cross and everything he's planning to do with the Yellow Jacket program. And it's just really cool to see the lesson he learns with just with the talents that he has. He does he never really saw anything he could do with them besides crime. But then when Hope and Hank come into his life, he just figures out the good that he can do with what he has. Yeah, it's almost like it almost pulls a Hobbit style of renewal for the character in that for Bilbo, he's not necessarily a burglar but the fact that he's a hobbit makes the characters want to hire him as a burglar because they're quiet on their feet and all that so he has characteristics that are useful and it's kind of the same way i don't think hank said that scott was his first pick for his for the project but he does have the skills and it shows that in the movie i really liked the initial high scene where he was robbing uh, hank's house because it was very intuitive and very thought out and shows that he was a creative burglar in using the resources around him to get, get into this vault, which may not be completely practical. I don't care. It was very fun to watch and watch him mm-hmm. be stealthy about it. But then Hank sees the potential in him. And while, while he's not too thrilled about having a, a criminal working for him, he, he still knows that he's the best at you know where his mind's at and trying to, trying to get that, trying to use the tools that Scott knows for Hank's advantage to complete the mission. And the only reason that Hank hired, or not hired, got Scott on his team is just because that he viewed Scott as expendable. Yeah, yeah, he understood that someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have anything to contribute to society maybe would be a better fit for this job, but then he realized, you know, I kind of like this guy. He's good at what he does, and, you know, he can keep this very expensive suit that I spent all my life to create. That's a little bit of a silly relationship, but I think it's it's makes for some good comedy. Yeah, and, like, just the biggest theme throughout Scott's whole arc in all these movies is redemption. And in this movie, you know, we see Scott wants to redeem himself in the eyes of his daughter. You know, he wants to prove that he can be more than his past. At one point in the film, Hank Pym says the line, it's not about saving our world, it's about saving theirs. And that just does a great job at just summing up what Scott's, well, Scott's whole arc basically is just saving his daughter's world. Because his daughter is just like his whole life. Yeah, I would agree with that. He he really loves Cassie and the sacrifice that he is willing to give to her so that she can live as normal of a life as she can without him around is telling of a good father. And even though he's a bad father for being a criminal, he is a good yeah. father for wanting the right things for his daughter. So it's kind of does the means justify the end where does Cassie get maybe a happy life with her mom and her boyfriend? Yeah, sure. But she still gets the influence from Scott trying to be in her life. And yet her mom doesn't really like that. She's like, why are you doing here? She doesn't see the good in Scott yet. And it takes mm-hmm. her until the second movie to kind of be like, he's not that bad. He, Yes, he's a criminal. And yes, he's under house arrest in the second movie. But he's his heart is for Cassie. I do got to say in the first movie, the final fight scene is so fun. It's so fun to be like on the train tracks of the little tank engine, Thomas the Tank Engine going around or in the carpet or something like having a micro sized battle was a lot more fun to watch than kind of the airport battle which we'll talk about in a second where there's so much destruction or like when tony got the hulk buster and going at it with hulk like all these buildings collapsing like one the stakes are a little lower because it's just a kid's playroom but also it's just fun to see them like picking up an entire train and throwing it because that's kind of the what makes it fun to watch and also Along the same lines, it's a little disappointing that they don't follow their own rules because they said you set up all the rules of like you have the same power in your punch, you're just tiny. And yet that's when they when like he's running on top of the gun. It didn't seem like there was a two hundred pound man running on the end of a gun. It's it kinda breaks its own rules, but it's it's part of this suspending your belief to 
to have a fun time. Yeah, I do think the first Ant-Man movie is probably one of the funnest to watch with the visuals, just with, with that train track scene and also earlier when they had the battle in the suitcase mm-hmm. and they're just bouncing around with and there's mints and then the phone starts playing music. It's just, it's a fun movie to watch. <laughs> yeah, anytime a movie starts doing like background music in the real world, it's called diegetic sound. It's very fun to see how they integrate it without being cheesy. Like, if they get too cheesy in the wrong style of movie, then it's just cheesy. But even, like, in Puss in Boots 2, which we do have an episode coming on that, just you wait, Puss, like, says, give me give me some background music, and they start playing. And that's silly because it's a comedy movie. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's, again, it's not full comedy, but it's very grounded and real, and so he kind of, what does he say, I'm going to end you? He says, I'm going to exterminate you. Yeah, he says, I'm going to exterminate you, and then a song called Exterminate Plates or something like that. It's just just kind of silly and maybe a a little nod at how sometimes our virtual assistants don't understand us all the time, but it makes for a fun movie, and even the end when Scott is trapped in what we now know as a quantum realm, kind of the microverse of of the world, like smaller than an atom, it's Mm -hmm. scary. Like, if you're listening with good sound, like, probably not on your phone, it's just almost, it's not even no sound, it's almost sucking sound from the room. Like, it's so quiet, Mm. and they meant for that to be, like, feeling empty and void, and it's terrifying being alone like that. And then Scott hears Cassie's voice, and that goes to further show that he is living for his daughter to try and give her the best life, because that's the voice he hears, and that's what causes him to you know, grow himself with the pin particles and all that. Yeah. And at the end of this movie, as in the end end, the post credit scene, I kind of touched on this in the Andor episode where I said that Marvel movies have ruined post credit scenes, and I do want to spend more time talking about that some other time, but in this situation, I think it was a good use of post credit scene time, or whatever you want to call it, because it gave us a clip from what would be Civil War, and I don't know where Civil War was in the production of, or during the release of this movie, but it teased us. It teased the next installment of the MCU and also connected it. Like, it wasn't just a tease. Like, at the end of No Way Home, we got basically just a trailer for the Doctor Strange movie, which is fine. That's actually what trailers used to be. That's why they're called trailers. They would trail after the movie, but so many people skipped them that it wasn't worth it, so they started putting them before the movie. Anyways, this post credit scene for Ant-Man was not a trailer. It was an actual scene. It was edited a little bit, so it didn't give anything away. Yeah. But it also set, it also brought Sam Wilson back into the picture because he had just appeared in the Ant-Man movie, and he said, I know a guy. And that then led into Ant-Man Will Return. So I think that was a good post credit scene that teased the audience of something more to come, and yet didn't give too much away. And if you missed it, you missed it. You'd hear about it, but it's not really that game-changing. You were going to see the movie eventually. I think it was a good post-credit scene. I was, I'm not actually the biggest fan of that post-credit scene. Oh, why not? Yeah, I just think there's not enough context in the scene, and it just kind of feels out of place at the end of the movie. Like, I know they were trying to set up Civil War, but I think there was a better way to do that. I think it would have been better, almost better if they would have included a scene with, like, Hawkeye and Wanda coming to pick up Scott Hmm. instead of just this random scene from Civil War. You would think, like, an exclusive scene that wasn't going to show up in Civil War? Yeah, I I think that would have been better because that's kind of what all post-credit scenes were up to that point. I think that would have been cool. The one thing I will say in defense of it, though, is that it was intriguing. It was very suspenseful and interesting because after a very silly movie fun times you've wrapped up the movie suddenly the credits end and bucky's is laying there with his arm in a vice and cap and falcon walking up to him that 
brings up a lot of questions and does make you want to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. And it is different than a trailer. It brings a different reaction. So yes, I see where you, where you're coming from, and maybe we can talk about how Civil War was handled because there were there I have some my own opinions on how Civil War was handled, and maybe we can talk about that that at some point. But we're gonna move on to Ant Man's appearance in Civil War. What he added, what maybe he didn't need to be there for. What did you think going into it? Well, at one point, I didn't think it really made that much sense for him to be Team Cap since he's the one who wanted to have a life with his daughter. So running away with a bunch of outlaws doesn't make a lot of sense, but. The more I thought about it now, it actually makes more sense to me than it did before. So Scott's, like, number one to desire is just to be a hero in the eyes of his daughter. And if you just look at Captain America and Iron Man, you just see more of those hero values in Cap. So it, it makes sense to me why he was drawn to that side instead of Iron Man's side, because he just wanted to stand up for those values instead of the, what... Iron Man was standing up for. Yeah, I I do think that they kind of had their roster of all their characters they've introduced, and they said, hmm, which ones can we write into whose side? Maybe they set up the teams, and they were like, okay, now we gotta write them to do this. It almost felt uh, less planned out, I would say. I can't confirm that, but in some sense he doesn't really fit with Team Cap, and in another sense, he doesn't fit with Team Iron Man. I don't know. Civil War is a very weird film. I'm glad they used it to introduce his giant man, which is what they called it, technically, power to grow bigger, which is, again, not part of his character. He's supposed to be small, but also I think that's how it is in the comics, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It was fun to watch that in the airport battle, though, especially Peter Parker swinging all around him. But other than that, he just ends up being arrested again by the end, right? I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he more, just... he's more manpower. He... He's a special character who has growing and shrinking abilities, and then he gets arrested by, by the government. He's back in jail. He's back in jail. For, like, the third time at this point. Yeah. <laughs> at least. I mean, we don't know what happened before the first movie, so. Probably besides Hawkeye, he's the most underutilized character in that movie. Everyone else kind of was there and present for the Soviet Accords meetings and other interactions afterwards. And even Black Panther, even though he was introduced in that movie, still was given a lot because, obviously, T'Chaka died and then he had that yeah. talk with Zemo. He had that, you know, inner battle going on. Hawkeye, but specifically Ant-Man, because he's the topic of this episode, it just wasn't given a lot to do. They were just manpower. And surprisingly, they were on the same side. So that makes me wonder if they kind of... I, again, I don't know how they set up each team. I wonder if they had too few people on Cap's side and they said, okay, let's throw in a Hawkeye and Ant-Man, and they just kind of were there. They just existed. So yeah, again, didn't add much. It was fun to see him. That's all. <laughs> so then we pick up with Scott in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's under house arrest. Again, what do you expect? But he it's fun to see him with Cassie and having fun. It kind of starts with that heist scene. And actually, backing up, this was some really good de-aging technology that they've used in these movies, I gotta say. Both from the first movie, I forgot to mention that, the opening scene from the first movie oh, yeah. had the de-aged Hank, and now in this one they had the de-aged Hank and Janet. And they're really good. They're pretty decent. They're not perfect, I would say, but they are really good. And I think that they kind of use these flashbacks at the beginning of the episodes to show how, or to kind of test where they're at with the de-aging technology, I would say. And also having the opening scene being a flashback to a flashback from the first movie, like we know what it's leading to when when Hank is saying we got to go to, he's using some sort of code word, but you know that they're going to go to stop the missile that then Janet is going to go subatomic and then kind of push that other story that we've already seen forward into what we saw in the first Ant-Man. And I think that's also I think that's also a good way to do a sequel, that he set something up in the first movie that didn't need to be paid off if they didn't make a sequel, but can definitely be used as a driving force for the sequel. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 
It's kind of like how in, you know, like the end of the first Guardians movie, Peter Quill survives holding the Power Stone, but we don't know why, which then gets further explored in the second movie. Mm -hmm. I would say that was probably intentional on James Gunn part, but we'll talk about that when we talk about Guardians. Yeah. We're here to talk about Scott. He gets, basically, we're getting the team back together. I know Hank doesn't want him back, especially in this movie, but he understands mm -hmm. that it's necessary for getting Janet back, and he needs... A burglar, basically, just like the dwarves do in The Hobbit. He needs somebody who knows how to weasel his way into places and all that. Yeah, again, there's a big focus on redemption in this movie with him, you know, having broken, like, the bond of trust that he had with Hope and Hank by going to join Cap in Berlin. So now he's just re trying to redeem himself in the eyes of Hank and Hope and kind of, like, rebuild that bond of trust. So, like, even though he, even though he wants to be in house arrest and just finishing these couple days just, like, at his house... So he can get back to that life with his daughter. He's willing to risk that, to reform that relationship that he had with Hank and Hope. But this movie really helped introduce the quantum realm, obviously. It was mentioned in the first movie. There's a lot of quantum stuff in that movie. It kind of gets ragged on for that, for everything's quantum, quantum something, quantum this, quantum that. But the quantum realm was explored here. We got to go there with Hank. And this is where the theories of Kang started to circulate because oh, yeah. Kang really, I mean, his his world is Chronopolis, which is the micro universe in the quantum realm. And everyone, when the, when the DVD came out, they were able to pause it and they saw that there was a little like city structure up in the corner. And they're like, maybe there's more cities and that's where Janet was this whole time. And yeah, that's been proven with these trailers that have come out and this movie that I have not seen yet, but I'm excited to and Kang's world down there and all of the things that can happen in a micro-universe. And it's going to be interesting to see like how far we get to explore this new world. And I think it's a really cool, creative way to go to a different universe. I mean, you got to give credit to the comic writers who really introduced yeah. the quantum realm, but it's a way that it's not just shifting dimensions to a parallel universe or something like that. It's It almost is physically... It's not physically possible, but it's... In the, in the realm of physics, it could be possible mm -hmm. to be... Yeah. A micro universe down on the size of a cell. It's not, but it's cool to imagine that it could be. It's a lot more believable than realms where you switch into... Like, like I think of The Flash and how he shifts his vibration to be a different wavelength and therefore shifts into a different dimension. That also makes sense, but not... I like the micro yeah. universe as a concept. It's interesting to see like these theoretical concepts be like explored as if we could explore them and this came out after infinity war this was the weird year between infinity war and endgame where we got oh, captain marvel and ant-man and the wasp it was very almost shocking not not gasp shocking but shocking in that we were so hyped from the end of infinity war and nervous about what's going to happen and then we get captain marvel which meh that's all i gotta say and then another silly goofy movie about ant-man that seems to not be connected, but by the end, we really do connect it. The thing that those two really did was kind of fill in the negative space that was just a little bit, because you get Carol giving Nick Fury the, the universal pager, and then you get what was Scott doing during Infinity War. And I think it was very important for them to leave him out of Infinity War so that they could have this movie, Ant-Man and the Wasps, to introduce the Quantum Realm that can then be introduced in Endgame. You know, I remember in the moment of Infinity War, we were all wondering, where's Hawkeye? Where's Ant-Man? Are they going to show up? And when they didn't, we were like, okay, well, now our questions will be answered in this movie. 
And yes, they were, and then even connected by the post credit scene. And that was also a good post credit scene where it didn't directly affect the main story of the movie, the two hours you just sat through, but it bridged over to what would be Endgame and connected it and finally made your mind connect the dots on where this whole story was going. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like both Ant-Man movies were of odd placed in the release order with the first Ant-Man coming directly after Age of Ultron and then the second one coming right after Infinity War. It just feels, you know, you're going to, from like these big stakes films to these very small self-contained films, which it seems like some fans were not as happy with that. But I mean, I, I like the movies. It just seems like that was an odd spot put them i have an interesting question for you would you prefer a self-contained solo movie in the mcu or a greater world-altering collab movie like civil war not not specifically civil war but would you rather have black panther the first one or would you rather have infinity war where everyone's together and basically changing the entire direction of the saga well it's hard to have just one because you need both to essentially build the universe so while i do i do like the ant-man movies as they are it's just the just how big the stakes of age of ultron were and infinity war were i just think it it's they really just dialed back a lot yeah the ant-man movies yeah i agree the the i have this opinion about dc and that dc would do phenomenal if they focused on solo movies dc really thrived when it was working on man of steel and if we had just gotten a Batman movie, I don't think it would have been that bad. But because they had to try and catch up with Avengers, mm-hmm. they really kind of dug themselves into a pit. And we'll talk about DC in another episode. But yeah. I do think solo movies can have their place. And Marvel is really trying to make solo movies so connected as in another episode of a TV show rather than its own thing that has a few nods to what's actually happening. But then you also get too far down that rabbit hole and you end up with Captain America the Winter Soldier where why didn't the Avengers come to help literal Nazi not literal Nazis but Hydra coming back and infiltrating shield like you just have Captain America there's there's those problems you can get into as well so I like self-contained movies I love Black Panther I like Ant-Man I really think that those are kind of the gold standard for how to push a story forward like you can still have character development that affects the entirety of the MCU without directly saying this is affecting the MCU you know yeah the big question for like all of phase two is just like where were the rest of the Avengers you know (laughs) in like Winter Soldier or Dark World Iron Man 3 it's just like they could really use some help and instead of just fighting these on their own and then the opposite end Civil War probably didn't need all the Avengers like it was overpacked and I it's supposed to be a Captain America movie it definitely was not as is you know you can go back and forth on it so then speaking of Avengers movies we have Endgame the culmination of 10 years of incredible movies that you know had our butts in the theaters for so long and scott really was the driving force for this one like i said as much as he's been a silly character and fun lighthearted to watch ant-man and the wasp and endgame pushed for the completion of a saga really that was crazy to see you know once scott got out of the quantum realm which again by a rat suspend your belief it's okay and then pushed for time travel to happen not necessarily time travel, which I love how they handled it in there. Again, not completely plausible, but I like their the end game explanation of time travel much better than something like Back to the Future or Looper or something like that, where you know a different branch timeline happens, and that also helps play into Loki and hopefully 
the Kang Dynasty saga, whatever they end up calling it, as they as they branch off into the multiverse saga. Yeah, just going on with the theme of redemption, Scott's pretty much like a source of redemption for the Avengers in this movie and the fact that he came from the quantum realm and then he was like, you know, it was five years for you guys, but it was only five hours for me. And then that's how they discover time travel. Even though it's not really like his redemption in this movie, he is the source that leads the Avengers to their redemption. And he's also, he's almost like a child where he can have a lot lighter view on life. And Cap yeah. is kind of brooding at this point. He's not brooding, but he's very accepting of the life that they have now. And Scott's still like, "Oh, happy go lucky. I'm Scott Lang." Yeah. And so he's like, "You guys gotta, you guys gotta try this." Blah blah blah. And yeah, he he. There are some points where he kind of just disappears for a while, and it's kind of expected with such a massive movie. But yeah, he plays his role in Endgame and pushes forward the story to the peak of what it ever was and probably ever will be, honestly. Endgame time travel, going back to 2012 and the Battle of New York, that was, oh, we'll talk about that in an Endgame episode, but that was yeah. that was so much fun to watch, man. Seeing him, like, bust through the Avengers headquarters was probably, like, one of the coolest scenes, or one of the coolest shots in, like, the whole final battle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then where where do we expect him to go? We'll give you our thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania sometime, but what are we expecting from this movie? I, I, I'm expecting a lot because it's introducing the next big bad after Thanos. Kang is going to be hopefully terrifying, not some mediocre villain. But I think, again, this is one of the movies that is going to be lighthearted and yet somehow bring a lot of depth to it. It sounds like mm-hmm. he's making a deal with Kang. It's going to include something to do with Cassie because that's his whole driving force. Cassie is going to become stature, which is exciting to have a younger superhero. There's tr- they really are trying to set up the Young Avengers, which they better do yeah. it fast before they get too old. But I do, I am looking forward to what this movie can bring, and I don't know how it's going to end. I am nervous that they could kill off Scott Lang because they're introducing Cassie and Stature. And if they do, I hope it's Tony Stark's level of emotion where he's dead and he's not coming back because his sacrifice was worth it. I'm not saying I want him to, but if they go that route, they need to. With having Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 back-to-back is very interesting. Because the first two Ant-Man movies and the first two Guardians of movies were both very lighthearted. And then to see both of these movies take like a drastically different turn in tone from like comedy and drama to drama comedy is just so interesting. And it's just, while I don't think Scott Lang is going to die, I think they're going to save him for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. I think this is going to be a very like emotionally driven movie with it seems like Kang is promising Scott to give him back the five years that he missed with Cassie. So -hmm. it's going to be very interesting to see that emotional drive from Scott and just whatever other plot points we see in the movie. It just seems like it's going to be a very emotionally driven film. Yeah, I agree. It is going to, it is very weird to have, it's, it's weird to say this. It's weird to expect emotions from a Marvel movie. At this point in time, after what we got last year being let down, at least personally, maybe you liked them, maybe you didn't. But from what I'm expecting from Quantumania and what I've seen from the Guardians trailers, it could be a bumpy ride for these next two movies. And I'm all for it. Like, if I get that feeling, you know that feeling where you don't realize you've been tense for so long and then you're like, oh, I'm so tense. And then you got to sit back and you got to just... I want that again. I had that during Avatar 2, which is crazy. I didn't think I would have it during Avatar 2. But I want that feeling of tension and anticipation and then telling myself to calm down. I'm hoping that this movie brings that. And also, we'll talk about Guardians in a while, but I hope Guardians does that too. And I, I can guarantee Guardians will because they have a lot 
going for them. And James Gunn is a fantastic filmmaker. And I think Ant-Man can do it if they play their cards right. So in wrapping up, Zach, what do you think of the character of Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and what he brings both to the MCU as a character, what we can learn from him, all that? Yeah, I mean, as I already said, the biggest, the biggest like part of his whole story is redemption. We see that through all four of the movies he's in, pretty much just redeeming, either redeeming himself or being a source of redemption for others. And then, especially in Civil War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Endgame, we see him be this positive energy. You know, everyone's kind of going through it in those movies, but he's just there being nice, cracking some jokes, and just giving him some, like, much lighthearted energy. Finally, Scott's a small character in a big world in more ways than one. <laughs> his, his simple story and his small-scale, almost like domestic storylines in his, in his actual films kind of allow us to sympathize with who he is and allows us to enter into his shoes and see the universe from where he's at. Yeah, with Scott in Endgame, we can really just put ourselves where he's at and experience a film from him his point of view and that just makes everything else so much bigger and also i guess the other thing is that with scott kind of being the the joking guy i sometimes the world takes itself too seriously sometimes the marvel movies yeah. take themselves too seriously be a lighthearted person in your friend group or your work group just try and see the positive side that sounds kind of cheesy mm -hmm. but especially as christians who have hope for a better future of another life of living with god you can bring your joy to other people's lives kind of in the same way Scott does and tries to make people laugh. I don't know that he tried to make people laugh, but he is a funny guy who ends up making us laugh. Sometimes all someone needs is someone there to be nice and crack jokes. Exactly, yeah. To be that person as much as possible. Yeah. Brighten up other people's day. And I hope we brighten up your day with this podcast. I ask that you share with your friends, brighten up their day, <laughs> follow us on whatever platform you're listening on, subscribe on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where all of our episodes are as well. Ooh. We have videos up there. If you're on YouTube, you can see our beautiful faces. If you're listening only, you can get a little bit more. You can see our faces and see our emotion, but also you're not missing anything. We do have short form content both there and on TikTok and also on our Instagram. Follow our Instagram for keeping up to date on all of our releases and also join our Discord where we have a lot of good discussion on the episodes that just released and maybe you can suggest a topic for yourself on what you would like us to cover or just what, you, what your opinions are on something. So with that said, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. We love you. Peace out. Yep. See ya. Thank you.